1 Corinthians 7, 25-35. Hear the word of the Lord. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In our society in the States, there has been quite a shift in patterns of uh, singleness and of marriage. Uh, The proportion of Americans who live alone has grown steadily since the 1920s, increasing from about 5% in the 1920s to uh, over uh, 25%, about 27% today, a a huge increase in in less than 100 years. And also, uh, barely half of all adults, those above 18 years old, are married in the States. As recently as the 1960s, the percentage of married adults over 18 years of age was in the 70, 70-some percent. 72%, but now it's just about 51%, and if the trends continue, uh, those who are are married adults will be in the minority uh, soon in the future. And so if we're going to be doing a series on relationships, we must consider singleness not simply as sort of an afterthought, but really as the, the, the first thing we're going to consider because we all begin our lives in a single state, and many of us uh, will end our lives in a single state, and so we ought not to treat marriage as kind of the, the pattern for adult living, because uh, it's, it's not. Uh, there, is, there are two options, and we're going to be looking at this first option first. Uh, and it, we're looking at a, a text in 1 Corinthians. Now, let me just give a little bit of a di- disclaimer here. 1 Corinthians is a very difficult letter for us to interpret these days. Uh, because it has a number of references that are cultural references, and then we don't really have all the information to know exactly to what Paul was referring. Also, we are getting the answers to questions. He, Paul received a letter from them, and that letter had a number of questions, and he says, oh, and about this, you asked about this, and then he gives the answer. But we don't have the question, and so we're having to go back and sort of fill in the blanks to try to figure out what is the question that he's answering. And uh, first, if 1 Corinthians is difficult, uh, 
1 Corinthians chapter 7 is one of the more difficult sections. And here Paul is dealing with a question that we call singleness. He'll use other words that we'll explain in a minute. But this question came up because of some serious, and this is another problem with the Corinthian church, there were serious problems in the Corinthian church. There were serious ethical problems, there were serious theological problems in the church, and no surprise, there were problems about relationships related to marriage and singleness and chastity and celibacy. Uh, because they had some some theological, some philosophical problems going on. Um, And so, what was that problem? There was, among other problems, a strain of what we could call dualism. Dualism in the Corinthian church. Now, dualism, in in the way it was manifested there, um, the idea was that spirit is good. The immaterial is good. The eternal is good. But all this stuff... The fleshly, the material, the matter, the, the substance that we touch and see and feel, that's bad. And so it was, it was spirit's good, matter's bad. Okay, do you, do you get the idea of that? And, and one, one manifestation of that that grew out of this dualism was Gnosticism, was Gnosticism. So knowledge is everything, uh, matter is, is nothing, it's bad, and we want to get away from it. Now, this dualism in the Corinthian church, so we got this problem here, but this produced two separate errors, two opposite errors, actually. And, um, the opposite errors were these. Now, we're going to be using, we've already used dualism, we're going to use a couple other words, but there were two different manifestations of dualism. One was libertinism. So libertinism, those who practice liberty. And they were saying, well, if spirit's good and matter's bad, my body is made of what? It's made of matter, and it's bad, and it doesn't matter, and so I can do whatever I want with it. Because it doesn't matter. It's bad. And so uh, these people were the libertines. They gave themselves over to all sorts of passions. And there was that sort of problem in the Corinthian church. And then there were the others. These were the ascetics. The ascetics. These were saying, matter is bad. So my body is bad. And so I need to deny my body every sort of pleasure. Can you imagine having these two types of people in the same church? So there were, there were those who were just doing whatever they wanted and saying, hey, my body doesn't matter, so I'm going to do whatever I want. And others were saying, my body doesn't matter, so I'm going to, to beat it down and I'm going to deny it every pleasure, whether it might be legitimate or not. Now, Paul in chapter 6 deals with the libertines. Now, in, in this section, you will come across some expressions, some in-quotation expressions. And if you look at chapter 6, verse 12... Verse 12, in quotations here, and I think this is the right way to do it. The translators put this in quotations. Uh, In verse 12 it says, All things are lawful for me. Now, I think this is in quotations properly because this looks like it was the theme of one of these groups. This was their motto. This was their cry. Which of the two groups would be saying, All things are lawful for me, the libertines or the ascetics? The libertines, exactly. And so Paul, it looks like, is quoting them and saying, You say, all things are lawful for me. And he says, wait a minute. And he deals with them. Then we get to the ascetics in chapter 7. And look at verse 1. Now concerning the matter about which you wrote... And here, once again, it looks like this is a, a, a quotation of one of the themes or one of the mottos of the other group. It is good for a man, and the translation here, literally what this says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. 
It is good for a man not to touch a woman. So this would have been one of the themes of which group? The Libertines? No, obviously not. The ascetics. Okay? Okay. Now, what Paul does is he deals with the Libertines in chapter 6 and the ascetics in chapter 7. And basically what he says to them is this. To the Libertines, he says, intimacy is from marriage. Intimacy is for marriage, because they were, even married people were saying, hey, my body doesn't matter, I can do whatever I want with whomever I want. He says, no, 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 no. Intimacy is designed for marriage. And then to the ascetics, they were denying touching a woman, even husbands touching their wives. And so they were saying, no, 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 that's all bad in any sort of context, no contact whatsoever, even within marriage. And so then Paul was having to say to them, marriage is for intimacy. So to the the libertines, he says... Intimacy is for marriage. It's reserved for marriage. But then he says to the the ascetics, marriage is for intimacy. That's part of what it's about. So this is the kind of situation he's dealing with this. Can you imagine? I, as a pastor, cannot imagine having to deal with this sort of situation. But Paul dealt with it carefully, wisely. And he promoted here, and he he, he put forth here in these chapters what is the the biblical sexual ethic. That we give our bodies only to the ones to whom we have given ourselves in the lifelong commitment of marriage. In other words, and this is something that we need to emphasize these days, in other words, intimacy is a covenant, it is not a commodity. It is not a commodity to be traded It is a covenant, and it is part of a committed relationship of marriage. Now, all of that is to give an introduction to this section of uh, 1 Corinthians. It looks like the the ascetic party was saying to people who were betrothed, is the word here used, but we would say what? We would say engaged. So it looks like the ascetic party was saying, whoa, 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 you're engaged, you want to be married, you know what happens when people get married, okay, you don't want to do that. And so, it's better not to get married. And so they were saying, just men and women, just stay apart from each other. Don't don't enter into marriage at all. That's why Paul had to emphasize that getting married was not sinful. Now, that sounds like faint praise for marriage, doesn't it? But look at verse 7. I'm sorry, chapter 7. Look at verse 28. Paul says, But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Now that sounds like, Paul, is that the best you can do? I mean, that's all you can say about marriage, that it's not sinful? But in the context, he's saying a lot, isn't he? Because there were people saying, marriage is sinful, so don't get married. And you're engaged, don't go, don't go through with it. And it had the young people confused. So Paul was having to say, no, no, if you get married, that is not sinful. He's not, he's not casting a slight against marriage. He's dealing with this ascetic party. Now, uh, what he says is, uh, marriage isn't sinful, but neither is being alone. Um, Look at verse 7. Paul, as we will see, talks about his preference a little later, but he said, no, actually in verse 7 he mentions it. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And so what's he saying? He's saying some people have the gift to be by themselves, other people have the gift to be in marriage, and both are okay. Both are okay for the Christians. That's really his message here. Either marriage, which includes intimacy, or celibacy, which is singleness combined with chastity, combined with purity, either one is fine for the Christian. Now, um, 
But the thing he wants to say to both, to both the married and the unmarried, he wants to say, these are temporary states. These are not ultimate states. These are not eternal states. And um, Paul recommended, recommended in light of the present distress, let's look at verse 26 again. In verse 25 he says, Look, I don't have a commandment from the Lord on this. Jesus didn't speak to this, but I'm going to give you my opinion as one who has been found trustworthy by the Lord. But he says in verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. So first he says, if you want to get married, you're engaged, you want to get married, go ahead. That's fine. It's fine to get married. And it's fine to remain as you are. No problem. But there's a complicating factor here. It's the present distress. What's the present distress? Well, there are probably as many opinions about what the present distress was as there are scholars on 1 Corinthians. We don't know what the present distress was, and here's one of the difficulties. But uh, he wasn't talking about a future distress, he was talking about something that was already happening in Corinth. If you look at chapter 11, Paul mentions the fact, in 11 uh, verse 20, mentions the fact that many people had gotten sick and some had died. So possibly there was a plague going on. Possibly there was some sort of a a pestilence going on among the people and people were were falling out and were getting sick and some were dying. We don't know. I'm not going to say that's what it was. We don't know what it was. But it really doesn't matter what it was because the the, the point is this. The point is that in such circumstances, when there is a crisis going on, it is permissible, but perhaps not prudent, to take on marriage and family responsibilities. That was all he's saying. He's saying, if you want to go ahead and do it, that's fine. You haven't sinned. There's nothing wrong with it. Don't listen to the ascetics. But in emergency situations, marriage and family complicate matters tremendously. And we have seen these heart-wrenching pictures, haven't we, of people who are being rescued from their attics and from their roofs and and uh, from their homes and uh, their cars and so on. And I put myself, as probably you have as well, and you've thought about your house and how this would be and what it would look like, and you've probably put yourself through that scenario. And if you are a... Uh, a husband, or if you are a wife, if you are a parent, I'm sure the first thing that you've thought about is, how would I deal with this? How would I take care of my family in this situation? And that's that's the right response, but it's a complicating response, isn't it, as well? You have a, a flat-bottom boat that has enough room for six people, and you have a family of six, and you have an elderly neighbor who can't swim. What do you do? You see how complicated this gets in a crisis situation, or 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 people are or people are are, are dying because there's a, a disease going around. What's your tendency? You you want to quarantine yourself and close the doors, and and then how can you love your neighbor as yourself as you're 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 cutting yourself off? These are complicating things. If we have marriage, and Paul is saying you can do this even in this present circumstance, you can go ahead and do it, but realize that you will have a complicated situation. Look at verse 26. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you do, you haven't sinned. If a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. Worldly troubles, especially in light of the complicating situation there in Corinth, the crisis going on. However, there was something else. And this was even 
bigger um, because he says, in addition to the present distress, there was and continues to be the shortness of the time and the passing away of the world. Apart from any present distress, apart from any sickness or warfare or natural disaster or upheaval that might be going on in society, apart from that, there is the situation that is always the case. The time is short and this world is passing away. Look at verses 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Those who buy as though they had no goods. Those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. What does he mean by this? Now you might say, well, this was 2,000 years ago that Paul wrote this. What do you mean the time is short? If you look at the New Testament, the point is this. When it talks about the last days and the shortness of the time, the time is this. The point is this. We are in the last days since Jesus came. He inaugurated the last days and now the clock is ticking. And now it is simply a question of time. Now, how long that will be, we don't know. But, but it's short because, because the, the, the kingdom has come and the kingdom will be consummated. And we're heading to that rapidly. When it will come, I don't know. But, he says, in light of that fact, all of these things, all of these things that we deal with here are passing away. Every sort of relationship that we have here, it's passing away. Everything that we buy, every dealing that we have, every business into which we get, every morning that we have, every joy that we have, all of these things are passing away. And that's why he says, whatever you have, whether it's mourning, whether it's joy, whether it's singleness, whether it's marriage, uh, whether, it's, uh, whether it's buying, whether it's selling, whatever it might be, hold on to it lightly. Hold on to it lightly because you can't hold on to it forever. A- as bad as it might be, you won't have it forever. And that can be a comfort, can't it? We might be dealing with a very, very difficult and ongoing situation in our lives. Maybe it's a difficult marriage. Maybe it's a, a, a difficult single state. Maybe it's a difficult life situation or a health situation as many of, of us in, in our church are facing. But whatever that situation might be, there's comfort because truly it's passing away and passing away quickly. But also, but also, the good things that we have. Maybe you're in a, a, a very happy marriage. Or maybe you're very content in your single state. Or, or maybe uh, your business is going well and you, you have the house of your dreams and you have the job that you've always wanted and your kids are doing well. But, but he's saying these things too are passing away. And so don't let these things define you. Let the coming kingdom define you. Because whatever it might be, good or bad, it soon will pass away. So be encouraged by that, be comforted by that, and be warned by that. Not to hold too tightly onto the things, even the best things and the good gifts that we have. Not to hold too tightly onto those. Because someday they will pass away as well. And better things will come. Better things will come. Now, um, Paul... And here, here we get to Paul's situation, because Paul says, I really love being celibate. And he says, this is great. 
And I really wish other people had this this gift. In verse 7 he says, I wish that all were as my I myself am. Now that can't be actually literal, because if all of us were like that, the world would die out after one generation, right? But, but he's saying, no, this is really a good thing to have. And I know this is hard for us who are very strongly attracted to the opposite sex and want to build our life with a member of the opposite sex. It's hard for us to, to look at celibacy and say, really? But it's sort of like, I don't like olives. And you can describe to me as much as you want how wonderful olives taste, but I just can't get it. And so um, I'm going to try to do something that's difficult. I'm, try- I'm going to try to paint for you... Um, the majority of which probably don't have this gift of celibacy, but try to paint for you a little bit of, of how good this can be. How many of you have done stupid or reckless things because of the opposite sex? Yeah, right? We all have, right? As soon as we begin to figure out that there are boys and girls, we start to do things that we wish we hadn't done. Because of the opposite sex. Um, how many of us are distracted by or try not to be distracted by the presence of the opposite sex? We all understand the interaction and that it's different between a man and a man and a man and a woman or a woman and a woman. And so we spend a lot of our lives, I, I remember my son-in-law and I went to, this is a, kind of a, just a silly little incident, but it really struck me. Uh, we went to St. Louis to try to find him a home, and he and I were walking around a neighborhood. We found a neighborhood that, with a house, with a, which was a possibility, and we wanted to ask people in the neighborhood, how is it living in this neighborhood? And a woman came out, probably between our ages. She's married. My son-in-law, obviously, is married. I'm married. Um, and I just said to her, hey, um, good morning or good afternoon. How is it? Uh, how is it living in this neighborhood? And she said, oh, it's very nice. She said, oh, I haven't done my hair. And I thought, so? I'm just asking you how it is to live in the neighborhood. And then I realized all of her interactions are like that. Why all of a sudden was she concerned about the fact that she hadn't done her hair that day? Because there were two men standing in the street. Men that she'd never met, men that perhaps she'd never see again. Well, he actually lives there, so I guess he sees her They see each other now. But, but, but that, that sort of interaction. We're always distracted. I, I exercise down at the beach a lot of times, and usually there are men there. But as soon as a woman walks in it's to the, the exercise area, that sort of the, the atmosphere changes, you know, and we're more self-conscious, and am I lifting enough weight, and, you know, am I too sweaty, and... Why? Well, that's just how it is. Now, what I want to paint for you is this. Can you imagine... Can you imagine how simple life could be if you didn't have all that? Can you imagine how, how undistracted? Can you imagine how much you could get done? If you didn't have all that sort of distraction and attraction and resistance and, and so on, can you imagine? I'm just trying to paint something that I don't have, but Paul did. And, and to give us the idea that this is a gift. This is a gift to be able to live this way undistractedly for the Lord. And that's the point. We're we're finally, I guess, getting to the main point here about this idea of singleness. Because 
singleness and not the kind of singleness that was practiced in Corinth, which was uh, singleness but immorality along with it, but singleness, a singleness, a celibacy, uh, a chastity. Uh, It has, in addition to freedom from obligation in time of distress, it has this positive advantage, positive advantage of single-mindedness. Single-mindedness. And here, the unmarried person has an advantage over the married person. Because, Paul says, the unmarried man or woman has a one-point agenda. The unmarried man or woman has one thing to do in life. Very simple. One thing to do. Look at verse 32. It is this. What I want, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. And then if you look at uh, verse 34, about the second part of it, it says, um, the first part, the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy and body and spirit. One point agenda. Can you imagine? You get out your day timer, or you get out your smartphone, and you're going to do your calendar, and you have one thing to do that day. That's it. Just one thing to do. Please the Lord. That's it. That's all you have to do. Now, if you are married, you have a complicating factor. You have a two-point agenda. A two-point agenda. Let's look at these same verses. 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are, what's it say? Divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And he's not saying that's a bad thing. No, that's part of it. If you're married, you ought to be concerned about that. That's what you should do. If you're not concerned about how to please husband or wife, then you're not fulfilling your responsibility as husband or wife. More on that next week. But he's not saying this is a bad thing. He's saying, no, this is you've taken it on, but you now have a two-point agenda. So you have to please the Lord every day and please your spouse every day. Now I want you to notice... Neither for the single nor the married does it say that we have to please ourselves. That's not in there. And that's a temptation for the unmarried. I can do what I want. I don't have to answer to anybody. My time is my own. I can do what I want. My money's my own. I can do what I want. And as Paul says about uh, widows, he says this in, uh, in First Timothy, he talks about widows who do that. He says they're dead, even when they're alive. Because all they are is about themselves. And it's a temptation for married people too. Um, We all enter into marriage because we love our spouse. But we also are looking for somebody to please us. And then we get into marriage and we find out that we're both looking for that. And that's where we begin to learn really to love each other. And realize that my job is not to get my wife to please me. My job is to please my wife. More about that next week. Marriage is next week. But you see here, if we, if we put in our agenda, uh, please myself, which is, we don't even have to put it there. It's sort of a default sort of thing. We don't have to write it down. But if that's, if that's high up on our priority list, then, then, then both these, the unmarried state and the married state, are going to misfire. Uh, so what's the advantage? The advantage here is 
to be have single-minded devotion to the Lord. Look how he ends this section. He says here, um, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you. Once again, he says, you want to get married, get married. But to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Whose undivided devotion to the Lord? Everybody's undivided devotion to the Lord, but marriage makes it more complicated. Now think about Paul. Paul had a right to get married and to have children, didn't he he have that right? Um, The apostles, as far as we know, all the other apostles were married and probably had children. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, just turn over to chapter 9, verse 5, Paul says this, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Cephas is another name for Peter. So he's saying Peter's married, the other apostles are married, the the half-brothers of the Lord are married. Don't we have a right to do that? But Paul says we have renounced that right. And it's a good thing that Paul did, because Paul could never, could never have accomplished what he accomplished if he had had a wife and children. Paul could never have been a responsible husband and father and done what he did. Let me give you a list of some things he did. Oh, by the way, we're reading one of his letters, right? And he's got more letters than anybody else. And he has more letters than anybody else because he, at least as far as we know, he traveled and visited and planted more churches and he was in prison more times and so he had time to write these letters. And But let me just read, uh, In this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me just read this to you, 11, 24 to 28. Now think about this scenario and think about how this would work with, with a single man and with a married man. Paul says this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, on me, of my anxiety for all the churches. What do you think? Is that a job description for a married man? No. He couldn't have done all that. And thanks be to God He did all that. Why? Because here we are today, and we have received the Gospel here in the West, in large part through the work of the Apostle Paul. Tremendous example, but there's another example that's even greater. There was a book several years ago that caused quite a stir uh, called The Da Vinci Code. And The Da Vinci Code was a novel uh, about secret societies and this and that, but kind of what it went back to was Jesus' uh, relationship with Mary Magdalene, that they had gotten married and that they had had children. And then it came out as a movie, and the movie didn't do nearly as well as the book, but it was quite a quite a uh, 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 uprising at the time, especially among Christians who were outraged at this suggestion. But I want to ask you something. Would it have been sinful to Jesus get, for Jesus to get married? No. Would it have been sinful for him to have children? No. So that is really not the offensive part of the book. The fact that he made all this stuff up, it was a novel, and it was inaccurate, and historically, and so on, yes. But that in and of itself is not offensive as a man. He could have done that. But 
like Paul, he gave it up. He gave it up. But much more than Paul, he gave up much more than that. Because Paul was a man and merely a man. Jesus is a man and God himself. And Paul later wrote about him and said, He who existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. And he took on the form of a servant and being made in likeness of man, he became a servant and he gave himself up to death, even death on a cross. He is, above all, the man who denied himself not only these privileges of marriage and family, but he denied himself everything and went to the cross and went to the grave for us so that we might have salvation in him. But the story doesn't end there. Paul goes on and says, Therefore, therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How did he get there? How did he get to that hyper-exalted state of every tongue confessing that he is Lord? Because of his steadfast devotion to the Lord, his single-minded purpose, and his one-point agenda, please the Lord. And he denied himself everything else so that he could do that one thing, and that one thing for us. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for the single man, Jesus the man who denied himself not only marriage and family, he denied himself a house and he denied himself a place to live. He denied himself even life itself. He laid it down for us. And we thank you that he gave up everything so that we could have everything. And Lord, we pray that you would enable us to have that single-minded devotion to you. Whether we be married at this point in our lives or whether we be unmarried at this point in our lives, we pray, O God, whatever our state, that we would hold it loosely and that we would be able to have the first point, our agenda, to please you. And so find our purpose in life following our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen.